Amen. Amen. Good morning, North Boulevard. And thank you for that, Joe. We are so honored to have you as an elder at North Boulevard. Personally, I tried to dress like you to show you how much I'm glad that you're an elder at North Boulevard. (laughs) I got kind of close, honestly. Guys, I'm really, really glad to be with you. You just don't know what an honor it is for me to preach in this series called Extraordinary from Hebrews 11 as we roll out language and vision for what God desires to do at North Boulevard. I'm overwhelmed that I get to participate in this kind of a church and with this large of a vision. So I'm, I really am thankful. I meant to, to be here four weeks ago to preach and to share that same gratitude and excitement with you. But uh, alas, the Saturday night before I was supposed to preach, I got sick. I tagged Glenn Robb on the shoulder. He said, you've got nine hours before you're up and I need you to preach. He knocked it out of the park, preached a sermon like it was his own. Of course, he led the trip that took us to Africa where we just um, saw God on the move. And um, he, he highly spoke of our traditional African suits, especially my blue traditional African suit. I didn't wear it this morning, but I did decide I would show you what a bunch of white guys look like in some traditional African suits. And at least you can see it, though I didn't decide to wear it this morning. When I was there in Sierra Leone and then later in Chad, I mean this even though it might sound a little weird. I just became so proud of our God who's on the move setting people free who have been in bondage for so many years and giving them truth and light when they were in darkness and deception. I really mean that. I just am blown away at the God that we serve. He filled in me for me because I was sick. And this morning, I'm filling in for David Young who's under the weather. So this sermon series has been a little interesting when it comes to that. It's really an object lesson in teamwork is what's going on here. David Young, dealing with the residual effects of COVID, got himself in a coughing fit and actually broke a rib in that coughing fit. And uh, he's been on steroids and heavy painkillers because obviously he still needs to be able to cough despite the pain to make sure no fluid buildup happens in his lungs. And he's making sure that that happens He's been checked out. He'll recover. But he does want you to know just how badly he wants to be here with you today. And I uh, texted with him last night. He sent me encouragement. And he said, man, I just, you just don't know. I just am bummed. I, I really want to be present. I want the church to know I'm, I'm on board. I'm with this. He's been laboring in this vision for well over two and a half years. We know he is. And I, I just like to cheer him up. I know it's been a hard time. So let me just speak right to him. I know you're watching. Let me talk to him in the camera. Hopefully cheer you up. Don't laugh too hard because the rib. We're praying for your recovery. We're going to do that congregationally today. We're praying for the success of the $5 million giving campaign next week. But I do want you to know, David Young, that when the history books are written, I will be the guy who preached the last sermon before giving Sunday. (laughs) I'm holding in my hand the $5 million sermon, David Young, right now. Don't laugh too hard at that, man. Don't laugh. (laughs) What an honor to be here. I'm so glad that I get to be with you. And we're in Hebrews chapter 11 for the last week, if you want to turn there. We're going to be in the last two verses. I've enjoyed this series. We've been working through Hebrews chapter 11, which is a chapter on faith and the central role faith plays in the life of God's people. Why have we been working through that chapter for the last nine weeks? Well, For one obvious reason, we've been rolling out language about the New Day vision. And here's how that works. And this is not an overstatement. 
in this vision, you have an opportunity to become a hero just like these heroes of old in Hebrews chapter 11. I mean it when I say people watch you. People are watching North Boulevard. There is an example being set, and we're to imitate their example. Somebody's imitating yours. All right? So you really do have that legitimate opportunity to step into that role of a hero of the faith. But there's a ton of other reasons why we explore it, and they're not all tied to a campaign. All right? So as we've been working through the series, I've just been jotting down some things that have kind of washed over me as to just how urgent it really is that we're always developing in faith, constantly growing in faith. Okay, so I believe it's an urgent matter for the church to grow in faith every season, not just in campaign seasons. Here's the first reason why I say that. All right, first, the church would become just another institution in the world, operating like the world, with all of the limitations of the world, unless we operate by faith. Does that make sense? We're, we're just another institution operating under all of the same limitations unless we operate by faith. But if we operate by faith, we're not just another institution in the world. Actually, if we operate by faith, there's nothing like the church in the world. Because we become a slice of future glory in the present reality if we operate by faith. We become victory in a world of defeat. We become love in a world of loneliness. We become life in a world of death and decay. We become vision in a world blinded by the enemy. Does that make sense? This is the, this is the urgency of why faith has to be cultivated among God's people in every season. Here's the second thing that I've just been reminded of. You will never get this unique moment again. We either become like those who shrink back or will seize this moment in faith. Those are our two options. You'll never get this unique moment again. And I believe with all my heart God has positioned us in this exact moment with our exact calling to be seized by faith. Number three, faith leads to perseverance. And it's perseverance that we need to see the vision through. So this is actually on the mind of the Hebrew writer before he gets into chapter 11. In chapter 10 he speaks about the, the urgent need for perseverance among the people of God. Because what you're launching now needs perseverance lest it fizzle and all of the energy in the room today dies out and we get distracted and we move on to other things and we move on to lesser things. Now I, I'm just going to call a few out, I'm not trying to step on your toes, but some are already losing the perseverance around the language of making disciples and planting churches. Right? Like, man, when is that going to stop? Here's a newsflash. It's not going to stop. The mission is our mission. So we need perseverance or we're going to burn out. And if we burn out, then here's what will happen. We'll watch the passion of our leaders like some entertaining show that's put on for us on Sunday morning. But we don't have the passion, right? We'll watch our elders. We'll watch David Young with the burning passion around a New Day vision. But we'll lose the passion if we don't have perseverance. And the body is actually as strong as the perseverance in the body. All right, here's the fourth. Now, these last two reasons really correspond with our text today. So they kind of get into the heart of what we're going to talk about today. Here's the fourth one. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's not difficult to please him without faith. It's impossible to please him without faith. And I'm reminded in John 8, 38, the words of Jesus who says this. I go where the Father has sent me and he goes with me. I'm never alone. 
The one who sent me is always with me. For, Jesus says, I always do what pleases him. So in my mind, I'm thinking it would be quite a stretch for us to call ourselves disciples of Jesus Christ if we also were not constantly trying to do what pleases the Father. All right, that's number four. And number five, without faith, we lose the ability to see beyond. Here's what happens in a people without faith. We become very nearsighted. And the most important thing in the world becomes the most important thing to you for your own story and not about God and his grand story to save the world, right? Without faith, we become nearsighted and our lives center around our own personal story. So these are just some reasons, among many reasons, why we are hanging on the words of Hebrews chapter 11. It's not just about a new day vision. It's about faith being developed in the life of believers. Now, if the Lord will get me out of the way long enough, here's my prayer for these last two verses in Hebrews chapter 11. I believe these last two verses can unlock us from unhealthy patterns that don't please God and move us into a place where we see beyond ourselves and we see the work that God's doing in the world so that we can please God. I'm going to say that one more time. I pray these last two verses unlock us from any healthy patterns that do not please God as we learn to see beyond ourselves, see beyond ourselves, even our own little life stories, see beyond us and into the activity that God is doing so that we can participate and please God. That's my prayer. Matter of fact, let's actually pray it. We've prayed several times this morning. Let's pray that prayer and see if God won't move among us to that end. Lord, Help us understand these two verses, not just with our minds, but with our lives. Let someone be brave enough to live out what he hears today. Someone be brave enough to live out what she hears and to be unleashed by faith in the world. And we pray all of this together. Church, say it with me in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, here we go. The, the last two verses, verse 39 and 40 of chapter 11, then we'll be out of the chapter. We'll move to chapter 12. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us that only together with us would they be made perfect. There's the only two verses I'm preaching on this morning, which does not mean this will be a shorter sermon. Okay, so we're going to read it again. I want you to notice he reintroduces two major themes that he's already been working through in the chapter in verse 39. Then in verse 40, he highlights a main theme of the actual entire book of Hebrews as he concludes. Here he goes again. These were all commended for their faith. Commended for their faith, he's mentioned four times in this chapter. It's not a new concept. Yet none of them received what had been promised. Another major theme of chapter 11. And then the major theme of the book. God had planned something better. God had planned something better. Who, who knows what that is? Something better. The something better here in verse 40 is the same something better that's introduced early in the book when he says there was some better priest than the priest of old. There was a something better sacrifice than the sacrifices of old. Of old. There's a, some other messenger of God better than the previous ones. You know who he's speaking of is Jesus Christ. 
that together with us, that's disciples of Jesus, they, the ancients, would be made perfect. Let's work through those three concepts so that we can be unleashed by faith today. Let's start with the first concept where he says they were commended by God. They were commended by God. That word commended has its roots in the Greek word martus, from where we get the word martyr. And it simply means witness or testimony or a good report. But it's really fascinating when you realize that actually God is the one in this instance who's giving the report. Let me explain. In verse 4, when the Hebrew writer speaks about Abel, he gives us some context of what he means when he says commended. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous. Now, here's what this means. When God spoke well of him, God spoke well of his sacrifice, of his offerings. So the, the Hebrew writer thinks that this is such a significant point of the ancients being commended for their faith that it's mentioned four times in this chapter. Verse 2, to kick off the chapter, he speaks of everybody in the list being commended for their faith. Verse 4, we just read, Abel was commended and he pleased God. Verse 5, Enoch was commended as one who pleased God before he was taken up into heaven. And then verse 39, which creates a literary inclusio, book-ending the chapter, if you will, where he says, everybody I just referred to was commended by God. It's the verse we just read. They were all commended by God. The Hebrew writer thinks that this is so significant that he has to repeat it. It carries such magnificent weight that he needs to bookend his entire thought with this phrase. Now, he assumes then that it means something to us today. There's a great assumption that we would be bought into the chapter as one who wants to please God. Here's what he's proving by including this so frequently throughout the chapter. Pleasing God is actually the primary consequence of faith. And all other consequences flow from it. Pleasing God is the primary consequence of faith. And all of the other results of faith, that's left to God. That comes in time. But pleasing him is the primary consequence of faith. And again, the Hebrew writer makes this great assumption that that matters to you. That it's like, wow, I want to I emulate the ancients because they please God. Naturally, his argument is, don't you want to please God? And this, this chapter would only mean something for somebody who reads it with the desire to Please the Lord. Now, here's what I know. I know that becoming others-oriented is actually a very difficult thing to do. We wake up naturally desiring to please ourselves. I'm speaking of me, but, but nobody else in the room, I know. Naturally, that's the desire. We want to please ourselves. I'm married to a woman who's lovely. Literally, I cannot think of a better woman on the planet. And even though she's lovely to me, I delight in her. I think she's the best. Still, I have to discipline myself to have a few thoughts throughout the day where I say, now what would actually be pleasing to Kristen today? It's still hard. And she's somebody I can see, I can touch, I relate with. How much more difficult then to wake up and to say, I can't see God. I can't even touch him the same way I can my wife. And my driving thought today is going to be, how can I please the Lord? 
That's a difficult place to get to. But you know what? This is, a, this is something I just want to press on right now. You don't have to conjure it up. You just have to remember it. Let me explain. Where we sit today, that might be a pretty unnatural thing to drive your thoughts throughout the day. But when you were a child, you desired from your heart of hearts to please your father. When you were a child, you desired from your heart of hearts to please your mother. Can I prove that to you? These are my two daughters who were in the front yard just yesterday picking daffodils. Now, the warm weather recently has kind of created this little spring-like look in my front yard. Is anybody else getting something like this happening with a few, a few things starting to bloom with the warm weather? So they go out and they were sneaking. So I was not supposed to see them, but naturally being in the front yard, I had to keep my eyes on them. So I peek out from around a tree here and I snap this picture. They don't know I'm taking it, except now they do. Anna and Maren, I got you. All right. Now, what they're doing is picking the beautiful flowers. I've just come up recently, the last week and a half in our yard. They take two each in their hands. They walk up the sidewalk, and I'm just watching them walk up to the front door where mama is standing on the front step. And they just stick them out with big grins. And this is her genuine reaction. She's not faking a thing. She bends down. She says, oh, these are the prettiest flowers I've ever seen. Forgetting that I bought her Valentine's flowers last month, what she did. These are the prettiest flowers. Oh my goodness. And she takes them. And you know what she does? She goes in. She looks under the sink where there's a vase. She puts them right on the kitchen island and she displays them. She's pleased. And when they saw the joy in their mama, the two girls laughed and they hugged each other like they had done what they set out to do. Just wanted to please, please mama. Now let me pause and make sure I clarify a concept about relationships for a minute. Those two girls experience both a static component to relationship and a dynamic component to relationship. It's very important that I clarify this right now. The static component to the relationship is that they're our daughters. They're my daughters. If they didn't pick flowers, I love them. And there's a general delight in them because they're my daughters. That's just their position. They can't get out of it. That's just, they're my girls. The dynamic component to relationship is this, that they learn through relationship with me, with their mother, with their siblings, what pleases us, what's delightful to us. It's like what a marriage is like, a flourishing one. There's the static dynamic to a marriage, you're my wife, right? That's just by position, that's who you are. We're committed, there's a vow. Then there's this dynamic side of marriage where you just wake up every day on a hunt to find out what pleases your spouse. And flourishing happens when that dynamic component is underway. And God asks us who have faith to move into that dynamic. You are my sons, my daughters. But 2 Corinthians 5 says we find out as we live by faith, we find out what pleases the Lord. It's our hunt. It's the desire of our heart. All right, now, here's a $5 million slide, right? You ready? Flowers please mom, faith pleases God. That sets you up for so much success in life. Flowers please mom, faith pleases God. 
You see this in, um, in the life of Jesus, God in the flesh among us, who was pleased by faith when he saw faith. You, you, you remember these stories, those of you who have read the Gospels. On one occasion, there's a Roman centurion whose servant is sick and needs to be healed. The Roman centurion knows by faith that Jesus can do it because he's seen signs that Jesus can do it. He sends a messenger to Jesus. The messenger calls Jesus to come heal the servant. Then he sends a second messenger to Jesus when Jesus is on the way to do so. And the second messenger says, hey, you don't need to finish the journey. Matter of fact, my master says he's unworthy to have you in his house. So if you'll say the word, he knows that his servant will be healed because you're a man of authority. And what you say happens just like my master's a man of authority. So just say it. Don't come to us. We're unworthy. Just say the word. This is Jesus' response. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And he, he bent down on the front porch and he said, these are the prettiest flowers I've ever seen. Genuinely. He says, I, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. He pleased God with his faith. There was once a time where Jesus was reclining at a table in Bethany, just a few days before his death. His feet were behind him as he leaned forward to eat, to dine with the family. And Mary came to him. She knelt down by his feet. And she poured out a year's wage ointment. Like a whole year's salary of perfume poured out on his feet. And she flips her hair and she washes his feet with her hair. And everyone's watching this. And they don't know how to respond to it. Some are arguing about, is that a waste? Is this a good thing? And other greedy people, Judas, desired to actually pocket some of that money. He's wondering, why, why the waste? This is Jesus' response. I tell you, wherever the gospel's preached, wherever the story goes, tell her story. I, wherever this goes, in America, in 2022, speak of that woman, this pleases me. This is an act of faith and it matters. Put those flowers in a vase and put them on display for the world to see. She's pleasing me. She pleases God with her act of faith. A whole year's worth of wages. That, that's likely what she was storing for some special day like a wedding day or maybe to a funeral of a family member that she loves. Something that would be worth pouring it all out. And Jesus says she chose to anoint me with it symbolically preparing me for burial. This is faith, guys. Don't, mummer, don't grumble amongst yourselves. Catch the moment. She has faith in me. And it pleases him. So the implications for you and for me are just outstanding. Like we could explore the implication of God being pleased by your faith for the next four hours. But I have to pick a few. Let me just tell you a few implications. The first thing is that ultimately your life is lived for an audience of one. You want to find real peace in your heart, get that kind of clarity about why you've woken up today. The eyes of the Lord are upon me. And ultimately, I live for those eyes. In his presence, under his authority, for his glory and pleasure. Amen. Like that's, that's living Chasing people-pleasing forever, I've done it. 
is not living. It's going to stress you out. But when you realize, actually, God can be pleased. He, he can. Even Rahab pleased him. Come on, this, it's not too hard. We can, we can take some steps of faith. So second thing, just like my daughter's on the front porch, find joy in bringing God joy. Let the, let the beat of your heart be to find out what pleases him, to bring joy to God, and to live that way. Which means, so just taking this towards the campaign for a minute, and I'll come back out. Have a moment in your closet with the Lord where whatever you decide to give is done in the same spirit of a child bringing flowers to their parent. Where it's like, Lord, between you and me, no one's watching. I'm just picking flowers in the yard. I just want to bring this to you to please you. And, and this is my heart that would please you. Let it be personal. What we do is congregational, but let it also be personal that you would please the Lord. All right, here's the next part of that, that verse. None of them received what had been promised. Again, it's not a new phrase. We, you've heard several sermons already in this series about the fact that they didn't get to see the fulfillment of everything they were longing for, right? None of the ancients actually got to see it fulfilled completely. So faith then looks to please God, but faith also looks beyond. It's future-oriented. It knows that even in the darkest night, the dawn will come. That even in the coldest winter, spring will arrive. And faith always looks beyond. Now, I can actually mention previously in the chapter where this is explained a little further. In verse 13, he says this. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. Again, it's a theme of this chapter. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. Now, interestingly, we can return to the same daffodils in my front yard to explain this concept as well. So I told you, we've had a few, few warm days, and these have sprung up in my yard. They look like spring, don't they? Begins to look like spring. They're the promise of spring. They're the sign of spring. They're the first fruits of spring. How do you want to say it? These are the guarantee that spring's coming. But they're not spring. It's a guarantee. It's a, it's a bit of the promise that we can lay eyes on and display in our home, but it's not spring. This is why I'm saying that. A little heads up about what's coming. On Saturday of next week, the temperature will get back down to 22 degrees. It's not spring yet, guys. We're still in the winter. It could literally still snow on these daffodils. On that night, there's a 3% chance of it. All right? Now, it's a very slim chance, but it strengthens the sermon. So listen. <laughs> like, it could still snow. And some of you know exactly what I mean. It still snows on your life. There's still cold nights. Still long, dark nights. It's not spring. But you have enough sign. You have enough evidence that spring is on the way. That my daughters live in the joy of it, the hope of it. They, they put shorts on as soon as the warm weather even ar arrived, right, to go play outside. They grabbed the flowers for mom as soon as they could. My girls look forward to spring. In spring, we go camping in our pop-up RV camper. They love that. In spring, we go um, Easter egg hunting here at North Boulevard, and a helicopter literally drops them from the sky. They love that. It's so, so much fun for them. 
But the daffodils are not spring. They just promise it. And in the same way, each of the ancients got themselves a daffodil. Their faith was not blind. It wasn't foolish. There was a promise of it to come. And so they staked their lives on the fact spring will come. It's just not here yet. Not fully. I want to I push a little bit on that, though, because I do believe that the Hebrew writer, in saying it the way he's saying it, is kind of calling us out. In a sense, he's kind of challenging us a little bit. And here's the challenge. I think this is the logic of it. They were commended for their faith because they took, an, they took a step of faith based on a promise, but they could not fully see what was going to happen. How much more you all, who have even more daffodils than they had, should take a step of faith? Here's the argument. They couldn't see Christ the way you could see him. Here are the daffodils in your front yard. Jesus Christ crucified, buried, raised back to life, and ascended to the Father. That's as clear a spring picture as you're going to get. And here's what he's saying. You have more reason to stake your lives on faith. You have more reason than Abraham had to take a step of faith. You have more reason than Rahab had to take a step of faith. You have more reason than Moses had to take a step of faith. You see more of spring right now than they did. So stake your lives on it. It's coming. This is what it's going to look like. John's seen it. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea, no chaos, no disruption, discord. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Flowers, I'm sure. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And here's spring for you. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. There will be no more mourning or crying or pain. For winter has passed, and the old order of things has passed away, and spring is now upon us. This is what we live for. And we're driven towards this reality by faith. As a matter of fact, you borrow from this reality in the present moment when you live by faith. You're doing spring things when the world is doing winter things because you know it's coming. Now here are a few implications of that. Number one, faith looks beyond, right? So number one, you are part of the greater story of God's redemptive work. Don't limit yourself to just your own little silo and your own life story. When you think about goals for your career, when you think about goals for your family, when you think about goals for your own body, let them be kingdom goals that participate with God in his grander story to redeem the world. Number two, when you live by faith, you benefit future generations. There are ripple effects of your activity of faith that you'll never see, but your great-grandchildren will see them. All the boulevard kids that you just shopped from will see them. My children will see them. There, I believe, will be marriages in a building on Burnt Knob property that right now we don't even know the names of the couples 
he will be married in that building. There will be other Isaacs to be baptized that right now we don't even know their name. Cain Atkinson, by faith, will be sent to plant a church. Right now they don't even know they're going to be a church. We'll never know all of them by name. That church will plant a church that doesn't know it's going to be a church. Right now, there's a disciple maker who doesn't even know he's a disciple maker selling drugs in Sierra Leone who's going to be converted by faith to go plant churches of people you won't meet. Results of your faith for generations after generations until an eternal impact happens. That's, that's a legacy, and that's, that's the point of this sermon. Now, it's not just about the campaign, but understand the moment. You can step into that. So we live for the benefit of future generations. And then here's how he wraps up the text. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. I'll explain that. God had planned something better. That's Jesus Christ. So that only together with us, with us as you guys, with us as any disciple of Jesus Christ, would they, those are the ancients who came before us, with us would they be made perfect or complete or brought to completion or fruition? It's actually very lofty language. It's very beautiful language. That what Abraham begun, you now with more clarity than he had comes into the picture. And then In the end, together with Abraham, we will be made complete in the work of Jesus Christ. I have to kind of succinctly put that by saying faith culminates ultimately in the work of Christ. So Eve, at two years old, was given a paintbrush by her mother. Her mother, Ruth, is a pretty famous Canadian painter. She gives Eve a paintbrush, and she watches over Eve's shoulder with delight as Eve creatively paints. I mean, you're like, I don't, only a mom would delight in that, right? But, but they would. Now, but she does, and she delights in it, and she's pleased just to watch Eve creatively paint as she's going to paint with joy. So Abraham was given a brush. And the canvas that he began to paint on was the canvas of God's redemptive work in the world. God's redemption story. And he paints, and he paints creatively. And somehow, Rahab ends up with the brush. Blows our minds. But she does, and she paints. And then the way the text is written is that the picture is not going to be done until you, you paint. And you just creatively knowing that God is pleased with every brushstroke. You paint on his canvas of redemption. And the New Day vision is going to be painted on this. And each of you individually who have done things nobody has even seen will end up with a brushstroke in this. I know some of you are faithful in the confines of your own home. You get no glory or credit for it. But God watches over your shoulder like a mother watching Eve, and delights in your acts of faith. Every one of them. Until the day comes where Jesus arrives with his paintbrush and he fills in all the color and he completes the image you couldn't fully see. Some of you are acting like you've seen this analogy at North Boulevard before because you have. But it's the best I could find again. 
to depict what completion looks like and how together with Abraham you'll be made complete. We don't even know what role we're painting right now. You could be painting a tree. You might be part of the boat. But what we know is, in the end, this is Christ's work. We do it with urgency, but we don't do it with any anxiety. We give from a place of rest and worship. This isn't all on our shoulders. In the end, Christ will save his world. In the end, he will redeem humankind. In the end, new creation will, will come like spring in a winter day. Because of Christ, the better thing to come. So, do like Eve and paint, knowing God watches and he's pleased. Knowing that you're contributing beyond your own story to future generations and into a work that will ultimately be completed by Christ. Will y'all stand to that and let's sing out this morning, claiming faith that he's given us.